If you could turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. We won't look at that immediately, but I'm giving you a heads up. And if you prefer, I will have everything up on the screens as well. And I forgot to turn that on. There we go. If you read the newspaper, you probably saw this this week in, in your newspapers. And Anyway, that was published a long time ago. It's a Polaroid picture of Jesus and the disciples. Uh, anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your multitude of blessings, Lord, as we heard all the prayer requests. Lord, we thank you for what Barbara said um, during prayer requests as well that you're upholding her and her family, Lord, and we're just so, so thankful again. Lord, bless this time uh, as we dive into your word, Lord. Illuminate your scriptures to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We commit all things to you this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I feel that it would be amiss for me not to make a couple of comments about what's going on in the world today. We were supposed to be in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, deal a whole lot about taming of the tongue. We'll get that in a couple of weeks. But I think we needed to take a pit stop or a, a rest. We're going to take a rest stop or let's say a diversion. And we're going to talk about this, Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14, because... And I think I've heard Mike mention this, or maybe Wilbur mentioned this. What's it called? Newspaper eschatology or newspaper theology, or nowadays, who reads papers anymore, right? You get on, you get online, or you, you turn on the news, however people get their news, their, their information. But I want to make a couple of comments because it does tie in, but this message isn't necessarily about what's going on in the Middle East this week, but it does have a lot of tie-ins. So what do we say about the events in Israel and in Gaza over the past week? Number one, I don't have the bullet points for this or anything, absolutely horrific. Can we all agree on that? Absolutely horrific. But I want to say this. In the natural human world, nations, nations, man-led nations or governments, they have the right, the legal right to respond when unjustly attacked. In Romans 13, and if you want to go back and look at this, Aaron did a message earlier this year that focused on Romans 13. I went back and listened to a little bit of that this week as well. In Romans 13, God gave human-led governments or authorities, in different versions you, you'll see it says authorities, the power of the sword. What did he give the power of? the governments and authorities, the power of the sword for. He gave it to them for the rewarding of good and the punishing of evil. So I'm going to reiterate, these authorities have the right to punish evil. Amen? Amen. Our own authorities here in our country have the right to punish evil. Our own Law enforcement in our own communities, they have the right, they, they have a badge on. That badge gives them authority to punish evil. But I have a bigger question this morning. And that question is, how do we respond to what we see on the news, what we see, death, 
carnage, destruction, mayhem, literally mayhem, how do we respond? On what we see in the news online or even our social media, for those who have Twitter, Facebook, X, whatever you want to call it now, whatever you have, you don't have to go very far. You're going to see it, right? Those of you, you see it every day, every moment, okay? How do we respond? So when I say, how do we respond, I do not mean the United States of America. I am not talking about our nation. We are Americans, right? We are Americans. But those of us who have been washed in the blood of Jesus and our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, we are subject to a higher authority than the United States of America, the government of Israel, the Palestinian Authority, or any other human-led governmental system on the face of the earth. We are subject to a higher authority. What is that higher authority? It's known as the kingdom of God. It could be, you know, it's a higher kingdom, a higher government. This kingdom that we are subject to demands our total 100% allegiance before any president, before any king, before any prime minister, before any chancellor, and God forbid, before any dictator or potentate or whatever you want to call him. So what is our response? The people of God throughout the earth, not just in Perry County, not just in Ohio or the United States or North America, every continent on this earth. What is our response? What our response is, it must be directed by this. Mike alluded to it not too long ago during messages, or not messages, through announcements and all that. Okay? This is our response. But what is that response? So we're going to look at some examples out of Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14. Let me say this. When events like this happen in the Middle East, across the world, but when you focus in on the Middle East, or when events like this happen specifically in the land of Israel, because yes, we do have an affinity with the land of Israel. Our Lord and Savior was a Jew. We have been grafted in to that people as New Testament believers, as the church. So we do have an affinity. So whenever we flip on the news, fire up our laptops, however we get our information, and we see what we saw this week, what are the first things that in, and I'm going to say it, in an American church, a Western church, I wrote down here, and I quoted right from X Twitter posts that I saw this week. Are you ready? The end of the world is upon us. Here's another one. I didn't want to put their posts up there because that would embarrass people. And it's none of you, okay? But how many of you thought that as well? 
I did. Mike, they don't want to raise their hands. No. Here's another one. We have to be in the end times now. Well, the newspaper says it's near, right? There's the newspaper. And the last one, someone went a little theological deeper. They said, see, we're in the 70th week of Daniel. <laughs> okay. So in full transparency, this morning's message is not about eschatology. We're not going to parse whether look at the merits or the not so much merits of amillennialism, premillennialism, dispensationalism, postmillennialism, panmillennialism, which basically means it's going to pan out however it happens, right? We are not going to look at that. So we're not going to look at eschatology, but we're going to look at another word that starts with an E, and it's called encouragement, because that's what we need when we look at the news encouragement. And one thing I'll say before we jump into this, you don't have to turn here out. I don't have it on the screen. Luke 21, 28. I asked Alyssa when we came to church this morning, hey, honey, you drive because I have to write this verse down <laughs> on my paper. And I just wrote it down real quick. No, I, didn't, I didn't write it down verbatim. How do we respond? Lift up your heads for your redemption is drawing near. Amen. Amen. So what I just said about being in the kingdom of God and our response, let's look at some verses that actually discuss this a little bit deeper about this kingdom that we belong in. And so Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says this, and it's up on the screen. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom, or excuse me, into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the kingdom that you belong to. That is the kingdom where 100% of our allegiance belongs this morning. A little bit longer. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 20. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the saints at the church of Philippi. And learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that, uh, excuse me, shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Is there anybody in here in your life would say, I was an enemy of the cross of Christ? Anybody? Amen. Thank you. I'm going to raise up both of my hands because before you we're born again, you were an enemy of the cross of Christ. The belligerents fighting right now, probably right now in the Middle East, both sides are enemies of the cross of Christ. Because there are only how many types of people in the world? How many types of people are there in the world? Two. There's only two types of people in the world. Who are they? A learned congregation, praise the Lord, okay, has nothing to do 
with what language I speak or you speak, the color of our hair, the color of our skin, where we grew up. Everybody knows I grew up in a crazy place, right, compared to here. It has nothing to do with that. Either you're saved or you're not. That's it. I continue. They are headed for destruction as we once were when we were enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. And here's the kicker. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we eagerly await for him to return as our Savior. Could you imagine what would the Middle East and Israel and Gaza and Palestine and uh, the West Bank Golan Heights, where Hezbollah controls in Lebanon, Iran, Jordan, all of those nations, those people groups, if they lived that last part. But we are citizens of heaven. We're not Gazans. We're not Israelis. We're not Palestinians. We're not Lebanese. We're not Syrian. We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. Would the world be different today if what I just said were true? Amen and amen. This is not in my notes, but it just popped in my head, so you're going to get it raw. Will there ever be peace in the Middle East outside of supernatural forces? There never will. It doesn't matter how many UN peace treaties they have. It doesn't matter how many times they go to Geneva and negotiate. It doesn't matter if they sit down at a table and shake hands. It doesn't matter. There will always be war. Why? Because there's only two types of people in this world. And we just went over that. There will be peace in the Middle East. Two one will be a false peace. Like I said, it's not an eschatology message. We're not going to go into that. But there will be a false peace in Israel, but it will be broken. And then the one after that is the real one. And that will be for eternity. And we'll get to enjoy that. John eighteen thirty three to 36. Again, we're talking about kingdom of God. The context of this, we're going to pull out the hermeneutics card to make sure we have context. The context of this is Jesus um, is before Pilate. So he's, it's near the end of his life, his physical life, let's say it that way. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Hey, Jesus, what have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. 
We are citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world. Now, I, I will say this. We're Americans too, and we live in the natural world. We have flesh and body, right? So we are Americans. And I'm very thankful, as I'm sure all of you are as well, to be an American, that God placed us in this beautiful, great country. However, it's not my or should it be your top allegiance. It's the kingdom of God. And what I find interesting here in this last part, that Jesus said, if his kingdom was earthly, what would his followers do if his kingdom was earthly? they go grab an AK-47, they go grab an AR-15, a Glock, whatever, whatever, you picture it in your minds. An RPG, they would do everything they could to fight to keep Jesus from being crucified by the Romans. And that's what the Israeli people, the Jewish people, that's what they wanted. They wanted a political Messiah. They didn't want to have anything to do with some spiritual kingdom. Are you kidding me? They wanted to get rid of the Roman shackles, the Roman torture, bondage, right? Praise God, Jesus' kingdom is not of this earth. So today's message, again, is not about eschatology. So, but this question about being in the end times it comes up, as I said, every time there's a war, a rumor of war, whatever, it always comes up. Everybody thinks it. Everybody asks it. I have seen so many posts, friends and family on, let's use Facebook as an example, of people asking that question, making comments about that question. The rapture's coming right now, right now, okay? We've all seen that. We've all heard that. So I found a Pew Research study, and I don't, I don't know if you can read this. I, I hope you can. I can't read it on my notes, so I actually printed a bigger copy of it. Pew Research, asked. this is about a year or so ago, asked this question. Do you believe we are living in the end times? Okay. Can everybody read that okay? Okay, I'll, I'll say it out loud. All U.S. adults, so they're at the top line there, 58% of all U.S. adults said, no, we are not living in the end times. 39% said yes. Now we break it down. Of those who claim to be Christian, 49% said no, 47% said yes. So about evenly split, okay? Now we go a little bit, peel the onion back a little bit more, Protestants, 55% say, yes, we are living in the end times. 41% say, no, we are not. Now let's dig a little deeper. Evangelical. So it's broken down. Evangelical, mainline, historically black church. Of those three, we would probably fall in the evangelical. I don't see Mennonite or Anabaptist here because they probably didn't even, didn't even think about us. They probably thought we didn't have phones or something. I don't know. Anyway. Evangelical, 63 to 33, yes. Mainline, 65 to 31, no. Mainline, what comes to my mind more than anything is like Presbyterian, United Methodist. Historically black churches, 76, it's the highest percentage on the chart. 76% say yes, we are in the end times. Catholics, 70%, no, we are not. Unaffiliated, who are unaffiliated? They don't know what they are, okay? 
They don't know what they are. 75% say no. Atheists. Well, what, how, atheists, is, is an atheist going to believe in the end times? Think about it. Well, apparently, 9% of them do believe we're in the end times. So anyway, figure that out. Agnostics, 85%. No. Look at the people. Nothing in particular. I don't know what that means. It's like, I don't think about religion. That's a nothing in particular. 67% no. Now let's get political. This is the only political statement I'm going to make in this whole message, so praise the Lord. Republicans are people who lean Republican. 52% say no. 45 yes. Democrats are people who lean Democrat. 65% say no. Now let's look at education. Of course, probably the smartest people in the room are those who have a high school or less. So the Amish kill it on this one. High school or less, 49% say yes, 48 no. Pretty evenly, pretty split there. People who went to college, 58 no. People who graduated from college, 70% no. Okay? And lastly, we'll look at race. White people, 63% no, we're not in the end times. Black people, 68%, yes. Hispanics, 57%, no. Asians, 66%, no. Is the United States, and this covers a lot of people here, they're pretty, all U.S. adults, 58, no, 38, yes. What does that have to do with it? Let's go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And let's read. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? When will what happen? the temple being destroyed. That's the context. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So when they asked that question, they expanded it. It was about the temple, but now when's the end of the world? So there's the tie-in to the statistics we just had. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to uh, war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So Jesus said that in Matthew 24. 
Not long after he said that, after he had died, was resurrected, sitting at the right hand of the throne with his father. What did the early church fathers think about this? Ignatius in 105 AD said, the last times are upon us. Twitter users said yesterday, the last times are upon us. Which one's right? Okay. Irenaeus in 180 AD said, but now, since the last times are upon us, evil is spread abroad among men. Are we starting to get the thought that the early church fathers believed they were also in the last times? If you don't have that thought, I'll give you some more quotes. Not many. As the conquering powers, a power of things, evil is on the increase, which is evidence of the last times, Tertullian in 212 AD. Since now the end of the world is at hand, again, the end of the world is at hand, turn your minds to God in the fear of God. Amen, Cyprian. Cyprian, 250 AD. That was a quite a few years ago, by the way. Last quote. We'll use Cyprian. Wars continue frequently to prevail. Death and famine accumulate anxiety. Health is shattered by raging diseases and the human race is wasted by the pestilence. Know that all this was foretold, for evils are to be multiplied when? Ooh, in the last times. Has anybody felt anxiety about the news the last week? I would say yes. Is a human race, is, are diseases raging across the globe? Yes. Is the human race wasted by pestilence, physically and spiritually? Yes. Was it all foretold? Yes. Apparently, evils are being multiplied in the last days. He wrote that in 250 AD. So what has happened since Cyprian's life to today? In verse 6, we just read this. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but, do, but don't or do not panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Did a little research this week. Between the year 0 and 999 AD, there were 247 wars that were documented. The criteria for these wars was it could be civil war. It could be ethnic cleansing, like let's say we saw in Rwanda years ago in, in the continent of Africa. Any type of wars like that, nation against nation, people group, because nations, the Greek word is ethnos, which means ethnicity. So like white versus black, or, or Hispanic versus this, or Asian versus this. That is also part of nations. They might not be defined by a physical boundary, a border, but they're defined by ethnicity. 247. The first part of that informed Irenaeus' comments, Cyprian's comments, right? It informed them. 
What happened between 1,000 and 1499 A.D.? It went up. So that was almost 1,000 years for 247. And now we're at, what, 500 years here? You have to count the year 1,000. So 389. Is it more now? Because we're about ready to hit the year 1500. Is it higher? Is it lower? Or is it the same? Or are the wars decreasing? Hold your hat. Oops. There we go. From 1500 to 1999, documented, I looked at every one of these, 2,084 wars that fit that criteria. That is an average of 4.17 per year over that period. Wars are increasing, validating Matthew 24. Now, what's not here, what's not noted here is rumors of wars. There's rumors of wars going on right now, right? What did Iran say? If you do a ground invasion, we're in. What did Lebanon say? Same thing. What did Syria say? Stop bombing our airports, our runways. If you keep doing that, we're in. You get it? Okay. Now, are they in yet? I think they have a toe in, but maybe they're not fully in. But that would not be rumors of wars. Okay. Well, now we're in the year 2000. A little closer to home, right? A little closer to home. We've had 126 documented based on this criteria. But that average, because it's a small sample of years, is higher than the 1500 to 1499 AD. That's 5.25 per year. So we can safely say that the trajectory, you can see it better this way, is going like this. It's going up. Okay. So what else did Jesus mention in Matthew 24? He mentioned famines. Let's look at famines. I love data, as you can tell, probably. The criteria is 25,000 or more deaths. I went to that low number because of the examples of the database. I consulted two primarily. Now, I don't like using Wikipedia. I hate Wikipedia, but I used it just for the dates. But Encyclopedia Britannica was very helpful for a lot of this information. Most of these were in the millions, not 25,000. 25,000 is a very low count for a famine. But nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. Verse 7. 0 to 999, 16 documented. Doesn't seem like a lot, but when you say millions and millions of people died, a lot. 58 in the year up to 1499. The year 1500 to 1999, 178. Now, I do want to say one thing. If in the year 1000 AD, there was a famine in British Columbia, Canada, it probably wasn't counted. Because the folks in, right, the folks in Europe who are compiling all this information, probably they didn't know about it. Okay, so I'm sure things are missed. I think the numbers are probably low in all these, all, this, all these data I'm going to show you. Where are we at right now? It actually shows eight. Now, the 1500 to 1999, some of those famines had up to 50 million people die in one famine. And those were out of China and India and, and Africa. Okay. So, are famines increasing? 
Earthquakes. The early church years, up to just after Constantine, 7.0 magnitude Richter scale. And I, and I know you just said it. Some, someone out there said this. Jim, they didn't have a Richter scale. In, uh, in, let, let's go to the first one. In 17 AD, they didn't have a Richter scale. But they did have a way to assess damage. If you have a hurricane that blows through, you can see certain structures that were leveled and some were not. You can determine the Fujita scale, what that magnitude was. So I'm going to rip off some here for you. Early church. So these would have informed the writers that we read their quotes on earlier. Major earthquake in Lydia and Asia Minor. In 62 AD, a major earthquake in Pompeii. It is believed to be the precursor of the Mount Vesuvius eruption. Okay, everybody knows about that one. In 115 AD, this affected, affected greatly the Christian churches in Antioch. Antioch, if I'm not mistaken, is the first place where we, our ancestors, were called Christians. Okay? 260,000 people estimated died in that one earthquake. And I'm sure there were aftershocks. In 141 AD, Lycia in the Isle of Rhodes, in between Greece and modern-day Turkey, had a major earthquake and a massive tsunami really hit the Isle of Rhodes. Uh, many people died. I didn't have the exact number. Just for it to make the radar on the website I was on was like, wow, these are big. I'm going to go a little later now. 363 AD, Syria and in the Holy Land now, Galilee. And then the last one in the first three to 400 years of the church, 365 AD, the Isle of Crete. Now, I did a series on Titus. Remember, Titus was based on the Isle of Crete. So showed some pictures. Hopefully you remember some of that. The Isle of Crete, just south of Greece, but if you go directly south, you probably end up in Libya, the Libya-Egyptian Libya border. If you go southeast of that, you see the old city of Alexandria was there. Alexandria was devastated by the tsunami from that. And actually, it's estimated that the Isle of Crete, as you can see, was lifted by 29 and a half feet because of that quake. Now, how many here have been in earthquakes? I know you have. <laughs> okay. I grew up in earthquake country, right? So Bill and I grew up not too far from each other. So earthquakes, um, you don't know they're coming. The only reason I know they're coming is if I heard Bill, if I heard the birds and the dogs go strangely quiet, and I knew something was wrong. And Bill, is that true? Yeah, he's, he's, Bill's nodding his head yes. That's the only thing I could think of that in the, in the earthquakes I've been in. So, so let's look at earthquakes. Now, the criteria from the 11th century and a 6.0 magnitude Richter scale and higher. The 11th century to the 17th, big span of time here, 54 documented. The 18th century, 34. Well, that's less, but that's only 100 years. Look, 11th century, the 17th century, a lot more years to, 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 to compile the data. 19th century, so we're in the 1800s, 65. Okay, now we're getting closer to home. 20th century, 368. Is the earth groaning for its redemption? Well, it's going to get better here in just a second. Okay. Bill? I was in, now these are major quakes. 
I was in two of those of the 368. The 1971 Silmar San Fernando Valley quake, it knocked me out of my bed. I woke up on the floor, or I hit the floor and woke up. Okay, and then Melissa and I, and I think Natasha and John, Kellen hadn't been born yet, were also in the Northridge quake. Do you remember the Northridge quake, Bill? Okay, people died in those quakes, but a 6.0 earthquake hitting Southern California does some damage and people die. A 6.0 earthquake hits in the third world and hundreds of thousands of people die, as we saw in Turkey and Morocco and other places across the globe. Okay, 21st century. I had to go back three times and look at this data. I was like, no way. 3,458 earthquakes. Nature's really growing, Mike. There's some issues going on, right? It wants to be redeemed. I thought, I better break this down. From 2000 to 2010, 1,600, uh, this is across the world, not in L.A. <laughs> there wouldn't be an L.A. if this happened. Uh, 1,608, 2000 to 2010. 2011 to 2020, 1,456. Nature calmed down for a brief spell. 2021 to present, this includes the Moroccan quake. Uh, it, it includes right up to the, the most recent 6.0 plus. 394. I decided to go to the U.S. Geological Survey website and do just to see what, what it said. In the last 30 days, as of Thursday, magnitude 4.5 or higher, because I couldn't get the filter to work at 6, across the world, the earth is really groaning. There have been 555 earthquakes of magnitude 4.5 or higher in the last 30 days as of Thursday. If you annualize that, that's 6,672. The earth is groaning. I have a question. If my clicker will, let me do it. The early church fathers believed that they were in the last days. We are 1,700 plus years beyond their time. And the end of the age has not happened yet. So my question is, were they wrong? They clearly believed based on their writing. I just put five quotes. I could give you hundreds of quotes. If you go through the book series, the 10, ser 10 book series, the Anti-Nicene Fathers, it's riddled throughout. They believed that they were at the imminent end. The second coming was imminent. And here we are in the year 2023. Let's make that a rhetorical question for now. Christians from every generation since the resurrection of Christ have believed that they were living in the end times. Is that true? My example is my grandparents. My grandparents told me um, in World War II, my grandparents would have been in their 30s, I believe, 20s or 30s. Uh, my grandfather was 4F, so he was rejected by the draft board. Um, they told me that they believed, and in their church, um, in the Wesleyan Church, they believed that Adolf Hitler what could, could possibly be the Antichrist. That was a very prevalent thought back then in certain Christian circles. And then every generation come up with a new despot across the world and plug his name in, right? That's, and that's what fuels all this. So why have Christians, 
There's a question, why? And here's our answer, and then we'll try to wrap this up quickly. The answer is because Jesus said in verse 3b, or no, the disciples asked Jesus, what sign, remember that word, will signal your return and the end of the world? It's all about signs, right? So what were the signs? We're going to run through these verses really fast, but we're not going to read them. We're just going to run through them. In verse 5, what are we going to see? False messiahs and deceivers. Did the early church fathers see false messiahs and deceivers? Do we see false messiahs and deceivers today? Okay. Wars and rumors of wars. We just documented that. Did they hear that? Yes. They lived in constant war in the Roman Empire. Do we hear of wars and rumors of wars today? Yes. Nations against nations. Ethnic groups or people groups against people groups. Did that happen then? Yes. Is it happening today? Yes. Kingdoms against kingdoms. It could be kingdoms as in geographical kingdoms, or it could be battles in the heavens of spiritual kingdoms, because we definitely know in the book of Daniel that we studied not too long ago that the angel had the war against the prince of Persia. Battles, kingdoms against kingdoms. Famines and earthquakes across the world. Yes, back then. Yes, today. Persecution and killing of Christians. Yes, back then. Yes, today. Apostasy, betrayal, and hate. Yes, back then, even in the Christian church. And yes, today, even in the Christian church. That's in verse 10. False prophets deceiving many. It just doesn't say that false prophets came. They were successful in deceiving many. Did it happen back then? Gnosticism and all the other stuff we've talked about in all of our Sunday school classes? Yes. Does it happen today? Yes, in a big way. Sin rampant everywhere and love growing cold. Did it happen in the first century AD? Yes. Is it happening today? Oh, yeah, you betcha. So I have a question. I always have a question. What do we do about it? Four till, Mike. I'm going to challenge myself. We'll see if it works. What should we do? Do we go grab an AK-47 and fly over to the Middle East and start shooting it up? No. Did you know if I had a Hamas soldier here and I had an IDF, Israeli Defense Force soldier here, did you know that God loves both of them just as much as he loves me? Just as much as he loves anybody sitting or standing <laughs> His life is just as valuable as mine and his family. But you know, the world is telling us right now as Christians, you got to pick a side. Go on social media. People put their names and they put little flags and stuff like that after the name. Everybody's seen it. They put an Israeli flag. They put a Palestinian flag. They put flags of other things that we don't like either. You have to pick a side. And then this guy over here, his people have rejected their Messiah. Does God love him just as much as he loves that guy over there? Yes. I'm on Jesus' side, amen? We are on Jesus' side because we serve a higher kingdom. What's our response? What should we do? We're going to run through those verses real quick again, bullet point mode. 
So what did Jesus say? Jesus said all those things in the previous slide. This is These are the signs. Boom, 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 boom. But he also said something about the signs. There's two messages in this section. He told us, don't be misled. Don't be deceived, right? He told us. So what are we going to do? We're not going to be misled. We're not going to let raw emotionalism determine our reaction. I've seen Christians post this week and social media saying they need to turn Gaza into a parking lot. Christians, and you read their bio, they have scriptures, they have all this stuff, they post scriptures, they... Is that really what we're supposed to do? I remember Jesus in Matthew 5. I remember Jesus throughout the gospel saying to love your enemies. Not turn them into parking lots or turn them into glass with nuclear weapons. I've seen that as well. What else did Jesus tell us to do? Don't panic. Hey, everyone. All of us. Turkey run. Don't be anxious. You know why? It was foretold that this is going to happen, and it must happen before the end comes. This tells me the end is getting closer. Praise the Lord. But we still have to do more. We need to know that the end won't follow immediately. We need to know that these signs are the first of the birth pains. You mean to tell me it's taken 2,000 years of birth pains? Ladies, those of you who have had children, could you imagine 2,000 years of birth pains? Yeah, okay. A guy who says that, who doesn't have any feelings for that at all. (laughs) We need to know that there's more coming. More birth pains are coming. Buckle up, but don't be anxious, right? We need to know that we, we, believers in the Lord Jesus, we will be persecuted, hated, and killed. Do you know why? Because we're not picking a side. Remember the two soldiers? The world tells us, you got to pick a side, Jim. You got to, who are you going to support? Who are you going to fly their flag or this guy's flag or that guy's flag? We're stuck in the middle. Stuck in the middle of a war is not a good place to be. Ask any innocent Gazan today. It's not a good place to be. We're not to turn away to hate or betray our brothers and sisters. Because it will happen. That's mentioned in verse 10. Those of us who endure will be saved. And I think I have one more bullet point and we'll wrap this up. And I'm sorry, it's one or two after. My apologies. Todd, I expect you to stand up and run and shout. Preach the good news of the kingdom throughout the world so that all nations will hear it. And what happens after that? then we can truly see that the end will come. These are the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 14. So what are we to do? What is our response? We are to be busy doing the work of our Father. That's our response to the Israeli-Gaza conflict, to conflicts anywhere in the world. To persecutions of Christians, you know what we do? We continue to build God's kingdom here on earth. And yes, we continue to build and go that way and go that way with our church building to prepare for the harvest. 
we do not panic or have anxiety. Can everybody say amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this people. Lord, we thank you that your spirit is among us. I thank you for Wayne's teaching today in Sunday school, Lord. It paralleled so well with this message. I thank you for Mike's comments, Lord, during announcements. Lord, we are people of the book, people of the word of God, separated for your purposes. Help us, Lord, not to get encumbered or burdened. Help us, Lord, to build, to build your kingdom wherever you have planted us. And Lord, you have planted us here at Turkey Run and in Perry County, Ohio. Lord, we pray that you empower us, Lord, to reach our friends, our neighbors, as they're anxious, as they're worrisome, as they're losing sleep, as they're frantically posting on social media at one o'clock in the morning of their worries that the United States is going to get drugged into another war. And Lord, it may. Thy will be done. Help us, Lord, to live strong and endure for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.